Imagine having access to a tribe of mentors consisting of some of the best tech leaders in the world, people you may have never heard of, but who in just an hour, you'll know their unfiltered career story, the bets they took, the decisions they made, where they failed, and the lessons that they learned along the way. Welcome to the What Makes You Tick podcast. Hi, I'm Tolu, aka The Podfather, and I host What Makes You Tick. And I am Richard Washington. I am the founder of Tick Talent, and we are the sponsors of this podcast. So, Tolu, Podfather, who have we got on this week? This week's episode is Peter Barley. What did you think of this week's episode? So, what I really like about this one is this talks about a topic which is huge right now, mm. but from a different perspective than the kind of major narrative. So, it's about AI. Mm. So, Peter's become, and he got in this very, very early, but a bit of a legend around AI sales leadership and the use of AI to support the changing evolution of how business works. Mm. And in sales leadership, there's a massive snobbery um, and reluctance and downplaying of the power of AI. And don't get me wrong, I understand why. A lot of people just try to automate everything and have AI just do the work for them. But it shouldn't be that way, right? You know, for example, um, I love AI. I, my favorite thing in the world is to set off my AI Hoover to go, and, <laughs> to go and clean our house without me having to go and do it. Yeah. Then ask Alexa what the weather's like, yeah. and then go and look at Opus for what clips we've got from the podcast. We're using AI in everything that we do. Everything yeah. is driven by AI, at least in the background. Um, so he's got that side of him, which I think is really interesting. And he talks about it from a very powerful perspective of how it can be so good to help to evolution, revolutionize sales teams and how they work. But he's also come from like a real hard grit background, right? This guy played rugby at a really high level, boxed. These are punishment <laughs> type sports in the industry. Yeah. To come from that kind of background, it shows a lot about your character. The idea for me of going and getting punched in the face, which is exactly what happened when I started playing rugby at school and put me off. <laughs> but to do it to a really high level shows that this is someone who doesn't mind um, how many times he gets punched in the face, he is going to um, go and win and you know be the captain of that team and then go and, and, and be a leader, which is something that he's brought through into his sales leadership career. And all of that, considering he's in like the sort of leading edge of tech and he's come from this massive sporting background, has been turned into a really humble and good and honest guy. So there's absolutely no front, there's no ego. It's just a really good, open, honest conversation. Um, what did you enjoy most about it? I think he covered it really well. Like his competitive edge is epic. I think that he's been on a really interesting journey of kind of like that death of ego. So we have some really like good conversations about that and just understanding like, what does that look like? How does it manifest? Because he took quite a chunky pay drop to move into AI. And he talks a little bit about that, mm. you know, even talks a little bit about like what kind of percentage drop he took um, and kind of the journey yeah. to building that back up. And I think that will help a lot of people who are thinking of, okay, I want to make a pivot, but I'm earning so much money, you know, is it going to hurt my ego to take the drop and blah, blah, blah. So mm -hmm. I thought it was a really, really good conversation. He's super humble. And yeah, I just really enjoyed, really enjoyed talking to him. Fantastic. So without further ado, let's roll the VT. Pete, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on. Thanks for joining. Good to be here. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Um, so yeah, let's get into it. So the first question is, Pete, what makes you tick? I guess from a from a business perspective, is is winning. Um, I've, I've okay. worked within sales for for decades, and I think it's I've always had a winning mentality. Even you know, 
before before I started my career. It was it was winning in the sports that I played. But yeah, I think to to, to succeed, um, mm. yeah, is always what I'm looking to do. Okay, and what were the sports that you played growing up? Rugby um, and okay. boxing to so a fairly high level. Um, I've got okay. like new knees. I mean, we, we spoke about injuries. I think when we, we had an initial yeah. conversation, but I've got I've got new knees. I've got metal rod in my back. So nowadays, there's wow. nothing nothing that involves any tactility uh, with sports. <laughs> uh, I got I got pretty badly uh, injured in my teens. So yeah, that, that sort of put a stop okay. to that. Not a bad thing. Not mm. a bad thing. So what? What were some of the things that you learned from from boxing and rugby that you bring into what you do in sales now? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I think I think for rugby, obviously, that's that's very much a team sport. Um, so you know, you're playing you're playing with sort of fourteen other people. Um, I was captain of the rugby team as well and played for the the districts. Um, so yeah, I think you can take a lot from from sport into into mm-hmm. your profession. So I think yeah, I think if if to draw some yeah, draw similarities from like captaining a team on a rugby side, you know, can be quite similar to sort of motivating and, and working with mm. like teams. Boxing is mm. a bit different. I think, you know, boxing, you know, you have people in your corner, um, but it's mm. very much uh, an individual sport. You know, you can't rely on someone else to, to win. Uh, so that's, mm. I suppose that's where my sort of tenacity and, and drive comes from, comes from that. And they're both quite physically like punishing sports. So I'm not I'm not a rugby fan, but because I was in Cape Town for the Rugby World Cup, I watched quite a lot of rugby. Oh, you were, yeah, of I was just watching it like go on, go on. That's how you were, I've got perfect timing to, to be there. Yeah. yeah it, was, the it, was, it was pretty pretty mental. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. it's just watching rugby, I was like, this is really bruising. Really, really like you have to be willing to take hits and boxing is the same thing. Yeah. So that's a lot of yeah. like a lot of grit, a lot of tenacity that can come from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I was a I was a prop in rugby, so obviously I know you're not a fan, but they're they're the ones yeah. front row getting in the scrums. Um, and it was you know when I played, it was obviously at sort of school level, uh, so there was no cameras, mm. so there was a lot of injuries that shouldn't have happened in the scrums that that, that did. Mm. But yeah, it's very physical, mm. very physical. Mm. So one of the things I was thinking about in terms of, you know, with the rugby and the boxing is sometimes with sales, it can be quite punishing, right? In terms of you're putting yourself out there, you're trying to reach out to people and then you kind of get knocked back. So I was wondering as well, are there any of the lessons that you took from that that you can bring in sales to? Yeah, I, I guess you've got to be gracious in, in uh, winning as well as is in losing. Um, you know, because you can, you can play for, you know, with rugby, you know, you can play for 80 minutes. Um, put everything out there and still not get to win. And I think sort of that, you know, if you, if you're looking at lessons from that, you, you need to, you need to understand you can't win everything. Um, and you need to be, like I say, quite gracious if, uh, if you're not able to, to win within sales. Mm. Mm. What's been your biggest win within sales? I think most recently um, working with, with a company called AppSend, the, the first year I was there, Revenue from the team that I managed went up almost a hundred percent without growing the the, the team. Um, so right. that was yeah that 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 was unprecedented, unexpected. It was in the midst of COVID, uh, which had a you know an impact on many people. Um, and even despite that, just with upskilling the team that we had in place, we were able to sort of double the revenue almost 
That, that's amazing. And so what were some of the things that you focused on in terms of upskilling the team? Just coaching, really. I think, you know, a, a lot of time, a lot of times people are trained within the first couple of weeks, right? Or the first month they're enabled mm -hmm. in the tech that they've got, they, they understand the product and they're, they're sort of left to it. Um, so I, I've got very much, uh, focus on coaching like regularly mm. like da mm. daily coaching weekly one-to-ones i think a lot of people don't do that and particularly when you're working within within sales and i, I managed a, a large team of um, sdrs as well as sales people and the sdrs typically they're fledgling in their career and mm. you know you, you need to have that constant um coaching and assistance to help them grow and I just think having that regular cadence of coaching and mentoring um, and just helping them flourish just gets the best out of them. Mm -hmm. And where did that focus for coaching come from? I guess I've, I was well coached in, in my early days um, and that sort of really stayed with me. You know, from, from you know, going back decades, which seems crazy to talk about 20 years ago, but you know, the, the first couple of places that I worked, I was really fortunate to have people that, that helped, you know, and spent time with me and helped me develop. Um, and that's just sort of instilled that within me. Uh, so I've, I've always had that same, that same ethos and work ethic where, you know, you need to lead from the front, you know, you need to sort of do what you're telling people to do or have the ability to do that, but just work with people every week. So they're incrementally mm -hmm. getting better. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned kind of the early days of your career. Would you mind talking us through your career journey? Yeah. I mean, like I say, going back a long time now, but um, I, I started out in, in recruitment uh, with a focus okay. on technology. So that, that was sort of pre-millennium. It was like a, the, the real buzzy industry to, to be in. So, yeah, I focused on like tech recruitment in the early days um, and sort of stayed in that sphere um, working with like fintech companies um, for, yeah, over a decade doing that. And the last five years, I mean, we, we spoke about this when we had our, our sort of chat uh, last month. The last five years, I've focused it on AI. So I've just mm. seen where things are headed, seen what the market's mm. doing, um, and just made a real focus on becoming that AI sales leader. Uh, so that, that's been my sort of focus over the last, like I say, five years. Mm. And so where, when did you start to switch from recruitment into sales? I've done both for for a long time. So I was I was okay. recruiting um, and managing people who were recruiting into um, fintech companies, and I was also sort of training those guys as well, like how to sell. Um, part of that, I think it ended in sort of two thousand and seven, two thousand eight. A lot of that would be sort of having the recruitment aspects, training the people that we would place and generating leads for those guys to to sell to so there's always been a like a, a quite a close tie between the recruitment and the, and the sales and e even recently you know whilst it's been purely SaaS focused like recruitment mm. for me and 
attracting and retaining talent is, I think, the most important thing to, for a company's success. What are some of the ways that you found really effective to attract the right talent? LinkedIn. I mean, I, I think LinkedIn's been my best friend for many years now. I think, you know, I think we, we met on LinkedIn, right? You know, yeah. I think, you know, yeah, yeah. Finding people that you want to work with on LinkedIn's worked really well. Um, taking it back to to Absent, which I mentioned earlier, the best person I hired came from LinkedIn, like, and and not not an ad. I, I saw something that he posted, reached out, had a conversation with him. He ended up being the, the the best sort of guy by far that we had globally. So yeah, I think I think yeah, LinkedIn's really helped for many things. And I think it's it's such a good such a good outlet to get your thoughts out there as well because I think it's only like two percent of people on LinkedIn regularly post content, so it's actually quite an open yeah. space to put put your stuff out there, mm. meet new people, even just getting in the comments. I think has been amazing on LinkedIn. Yeah, and and that's that's something I've done for about five years. I, I worked with a company mm. called Making Digital Real, which really focused on LinkedIn, and I get all the sales guys to post every single day as part of their you know daily routine so that they get they get into that cadence of having a daily post um and just just appealing to their ideal customer you know um so that we try we try and create the the linkedin their linkedin space to be a landing page to generate demand and like you say sort of comments likes reposts things like that really help um build up your audience and also mm. sort of target the people that you want to speak to. Mm. And going back a bit to your, to your journey, how did you choose recruitment? Like what was it about recruitment that drew you into it? It's just, I suppose like trend is your friend, right? And I think from as a young man, um, I was just, just looking out there to see who was um, doing particularly well. Uh, making lots of money and you know going back to the the late 90s it, it was recruitment you know so i think that was that was my goal and I, we'll, we'll talk about goals as we go on but i think goals have changed for me uh, you know as a as an individual they've changed over time and initially it was all about money you know it was all about where i could make the most money um and it was definitely within tech uh, the recruiters. I mean, I wasn't technically gifted. You know, I'm not. I'm not going to be able to to go in somewhere as an implementation success manager, or uh, I can't do coding. You know, so I was like, I need to work in this space. Um, what, what am I going to do? So that, that for me was just like quite a a, a simple first step into the the tech world. So what are, what are some of your tips for a for a in quote unquote non techy person? to be able to not just survive but to thrive in a tech world i think i think you you've always got to be learning right um and whether that's you know podcasts or mm. information from linkedin or reading books like whatever it is you you have to be quite sharp like you might not be able to implement the product but you need to have an understanding of it and i think things change not just in tech but things change very fast um, very, very quickly within within most industries, but I think tech more so. So I just think you have to keep yourself, um, you know, keep yourself sharp. Always be learning. Always be listening to other people. You know what they're doing and, and see what you can sort of get from that. 
Mm. And you mentioned that you've been focusing on AI for the last kind of five years or so. I know that it's something that people are talking about quite a lot. So for people that don't understand AI, what are some of the things that you, you could share with them around what's happening? Because it's everywhere. Well, it is, yeah. And I think, you know, people don't realize that they're using AI or AI is implementing, or sorry, people, people don't realize that they're using AI or having AI affects what they're doing. But even from like, you're, you're shopping on Amazon, or wherever you're buying your, mm. your shopping from, um, that's using AI, yeah? You know, mm. when you're listening to music, like AI would be be used then to sort of make suggestions for you. I think, you know, we're, mm. we're seeing it more and more now with any purchases that we make or any anything that we do in life, like AI is, is there, you know, and you don't have to be an expert on it, but I think that for me is where I just, I just see tremendous growth um, over the next sort of five, ten years, or mm. indefinitely. And I th yeah, I think it's it's just gonna it's just gonna get exponential, isn't it? And I think that sometimes mm. we put this kind of mysticism around AI, but actually, it's so. One of my friends he showed me an algorithm that it was only like this big. It wasn't like a massive thing, but it was like it was still an algorithm, and it just blew my mind that oh, okay, yeah. something like that is also AI. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I think you know. A lot of people are quite scared about it. Um, they, they see it as something that's coming along and, you know, replacing people's jobs. Um, I think, you know, people like think about the Terminator, you know, and the AI takes over the yeah. world. But I think, <laughs> yeah. I, think, I, think, <laughs> I think I think you have to embrace it, right? You know, it's, it's not going to go away. Um, I think that the way I look at it is it, it augments humans. Yeah, we can, we can mm. use AI to be better at what we do. Mm. Um, whether that's you know using chat gpt or google bard to create better messages and content you know i think you know if, mm. if we embrace it um that that's the only way we can go forward you can't you can't hide away from it it's not it's not going to go mm. anywhere mm. Mm. i feel like humans in general right the humans that win or are, or are successful are the humans that know how to use the tools that they have available and at the moment ai is a tool that we have available like whether it becomes you know the terminator or irobot or that kind of thing is still still to be seen but at the moment it's still just a tool that we have available so the humans that know how to use tools are the humans that innovate you know they're successful they can sell well so for me it's just about okay how yeah. do i learn how to use this tool yeah and that's it and i think yeah like i say it, it augments humans right mm. so mm. I, I get messages all the time, emails, LinkedIn messages. You can tell the ones that are written by uh, yeah. a, a bot, right? So mm. I think you know you, you can you can still use that, humanize it, um, so it doesn't look like it's been auto generated. But I think you know I think mm. it's it's makes a massive. Um, it's been game changing over the last couple of years, like more, more than mm. I've seen it prior to that. Mm. I think ChatGPT mm. is probably the the biggest thing that's come along. Um, but it's, mm. it's brilliant. You know, I think, you know, gone, gone are the days where you spend hours researching something. You can just ask a question. <laughs> get, yeah. It's like, you, you have to embrace yeah. it. Um, and it helps, right? You know, it, it helps people to be better informed. Mm. Um, so yeah, you, mm. you have to, you have to embrace it. Because mm. it's such an accelerator, it accelerates, you know, output so you can do so much more because of ai but also that accelerates your impact exactly. if you use it in the right way yeah absolutely agreed mm. Mm. 
So if we go back into, into your career journey, where did you start leading people? Probably about 15 years ago. Um, I mean, okay. I'd, have, I'd have to look at my CV to give you the right dates, but I think it's, you know, mm. from this company called Market View. Uh, it was a small business. Um, I was brought in to, to sell and to teach people how to sell. Um, so mm. that was probably the start of it. And ever since mm. then, you know, I've been managing teams. So what was your first leadership experience like? Because that was maybe, what, five-ish years into your career? Yeah, it was um, it was daunting. I think, you know, imposter syndrome um, creeps in a little bit, uh, particularly when you haven't led teams and it's just like people are looking to you for inspiration. So I think, like I mentioned earlier, I think it's important to lead from the front. So although I was managing a team, I was always doing what they were doing as well, not for the full day because obviously I had other things to do, but I would always have a dedicated couple of hours where I would jump on the phones and do exactly what they were doing um and it you know luckily it, it worked it'd be quite it'd be quite embarrassing if you like hit the phones for two hours and didn't didn't get anything right but I, mm. i've always done that i've always sort of worked um with the guys that i manage and sort of pick up the phone and you know role plays objection handling whatever it is uh, or real life calls i think that's quite important in in sales mm. to lead a team to to let them see that you you know you can um walk the walk as well as talk about mm. it because mm. there's definitely a massive difference between someone kind of coaching you and you're thinking well you're not doing what i'm doing versus someone coaching mm. you and then showing you like this is what i've told you to do this is how it works and they can see how you do it and i think that brings a very mm. different dynamic no totally and like you know talking about ai as well there's you know tools like gong uh, or, or chorus which is sort of part of zoom info they're brilliant you know because i i used to have to listen to the calls after the event and you know sometimes the calls could be you know 20 minutes 30 minutes long um mm. and i'd have to sit down and make notes now you know it, the ai mm. will just pick out the keywords what i've asked it to look for and it just mm. helps manage teams especially bigger teams right and if you're managing mm. sort of 30 plus people you're not going to be able mm. to listen no. to all those calls um, but you can get the breakdowns um, using software, like I've mentioned, which which really, really helps. Mm. And what are some of those things that you're looking for when you're coaching someone when they're doing their sales calls? I mean, from from my from my point of view, I think it's it's quite important. And, you know, you don't get this from AI. This is this is why you need a human. Right. It's mm. it's important that the, that the the salesperson's got the right tonality. Um, is using the right vernacular. Mm. I suppose the AI can pick that bit out. But yeah, I think sort of tone, um, confidence, how they sound is is really, really integral to, to the job. Uh, AI can't pick out how confident someone is, but it, it would pick out the keywords, you know, that, that next steps or things that we ask it mm. to capture. So obviously that, that would depend mm. on the business that you're working with. But yeah, for, for, for me, I'd look at next steps as being a key one. And you mentioned tone, like what are some of the tones and things that you found to be successful for people in selling over the years? You do sound confident, right? Um, I think 
you know, I can talk about this for ages, and obviously we haven't got we haven't got the time to talk about it. But you know, you need to be able to match your prospect's tone. That's quite important. Okay. And I think if you're, I mean, I'm I'm quite extroverted, right? I'm quite loud. Yeah. Um, and I would normally talk over 150 words a minute. Um, but that doesn't right. work for everyone. So you need you need to be able to yeah. sort of change your tone and your pace depending on who you're talking to. But you need to sound confident. Um, you need to give the person on the end of the phone reason to continue or to have those next steps. So, you know, it, it's, it's what you say as well as how you say it. But I think tonality is very important. I think even what you said about how many words per minute and stuff like that, that's something I've never actually thought about, but pace is so important because if you go too fast, someone might feel uncomfortable because they feel like they're not keeping up. So yeah. I think that's a really, yeah. really interesting thing to think about. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's only, it's only valid when you're like me and you talk really quickly. I think I've, I've got to be conscious of how quickly I'm saying things and it, it works mm. when you're having a, you know, if, if you're on a zoom call, it works because I can look at someone's mm. face and see if they, you know, if they're frowning or looking slightly um, unsure of something, I can sort of pick up True. on that. On the phone, it's not so easy. It's not so easy. So you, mm. you need to slow it down. You need to have the person on the other end of the phone buy into what you say. And hopefully mm. that will happen naturally. Like, you know, like you're sort mm. of, you know, I mean, and, and like agreeing as, as, as we're going, but you, you don't want to have that void, that cavern, that silence on the phone, right? So you need to be asking questions as you're talking to them to to make sure that they're with you without saying does that make sense because that can be a bit condescending yeah. but you'd want to make you will be asking the questions at the right times to ensure that person's with you i think for every point that you make you need to make sure that they're on board before you go to the next point otherwise you'll just be rambling that, that's a really interesting one in terms of does that make sense what are some of the because you want to make sure that it makes sense but like you said it can come across a little bit condescending so what are some of the better ways that you found to make sure that people are tracking with you like i say i think i think you just ask some questions because you know people don't want to be sold to on the telephone right whatever it is that you're doing whatever it, wherever you're working people don't really want to be sold to and um, you know i think from from that first conversation we'd never well i've never looked to close something on a first conversation but you just want to sort of make a point which is generally going to be the value prop of your business and then ask a question to them about you know how things are currently working there just to make sure that mm. what you're selling or what you do will make an impact with them so rather than are you with me? Does it make sense? I would just ask them a question um, about how things currently work in that organization. I see. So you ask a question that will show that they've understood what you're talking about, but then give you some more information about how things work from, from there. Yeah, exactly. Without, without saying, are you with me? Does that make sense? I mean, I, I've, I've said it in the past, you know, and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, rebuke someone that, that said it because it, it is quite a natural thing to say. But yeah. I think, you know, just you should try and avoid that. Just, just be conscious of the, of the words that you're using and when you're using them. Mm. So I think it's not as necessarily about right or wrong, but it's about what's most effective. So a does it make sense can get you, you know, yes, it makes sense. You've got that confirmation, but it's not as effective as, you know, this is how it works in our company. This is the pain that we have. So it's more, it's really about effectiveness. Yeah, that's it. And, you know, does this sound like something that X company could benefit from is, is, is a fair question. I mean, it's a closed question. 
because they, mm-hmm. they can mm-hmm. say no. But if if yeah, it's generally <laughs> not going to be a if it's not going to be a value to them, we don't want to continue the conversation anyway, right? Um, mm-hmm. Or we may want to speak to somebody else where there may be a pain that you might not have uncovered mm-hmm. from the, the first person you're speaking to in X company. Um, but yeah, I, I just try and ascertain that it's going to be relevant because if you haven't, you know, if you're, if you're selling something, you need to find a pain um, mm-hmm. to the, you know, with the person you're speaking to. If there is no pain, there is no issue. They don't need your service, your product, your software. Mm-hmm. It's good to uncover that early on, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, why, why are we here? If there's nothing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what were what were some of the tough lessons that you had to learn on your leadership journey? I think hiring. I, I mentioned hiring before. I think where I've hired wrong, um, it's caused a lot of problems. I think mm. hiring is the most crucial part of, like I say, like for a successful company, like. 90 odd percent of it's going to be hiring the right people i think looking back on decades i think sometimes i've i've hired people that i've liked mm. just without realizing it um rather than people that could be excellent in the in the position and then you know i've i've tried to sort of mold them into what i think they should be but fundamentally they lack what i need in the first place so i think Many lessons learned over the years, but I think hiring is probably the most important one. Mm-hmm. And what about in terms of how you lead people? What are some of the lessons you've learned in, in terms of leading people? I suppose over the years, things have changed a lot, right? And I think when you're working with Generation Z, um, mm-hmm. it's very different to working with millennials or Generation X, mm-hmm. like I am. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the way that you manage, the way that you speak to and, and coach people, you know, it's dependent on the individual for sure. But, you know, mm. the journey that someone is going on, particularly like, particularly in sales, particularly like early on in their career, what someone's doing today, yeah, mm. is very, very different to how it was when I started out or when, or when you started mm. out. Yeah, it's very different. Mm. And it's mainly because of remote working. Yeah. Mm. There are very few switchboards. It's very difficult to <laughs> yeah. get through to a person or a department. It's, it's tough, right? And I think, mm. you know, you, you need to be aware of the difficulties, really, um, that people are facing and adjust mm. your, um, maybe, maybe adjust the expectations, I guess, from people that are working today than that were working 10 years ago or 20 years ago. It's, it's, a, lot, it's a lot harder now. I think that's a really interesting one because I think that often when people talk about the difference between the generations, what's talked about is a lot about mentality and approach, you know, mm. about how differently Gen X approaches things to millennials to Gen Z. But I think not enough is probably recognized in terms of, yes, there is stuff around approach that everybody approaches things differently. But there is also the fact that this environment might actually be harder. And I've never thought about it. Mm. For me, I feel like in some ways it's easier as well because you've got LinkedIn, you've got these things where you have that access. but then some of the things that we would have done before are definitely harder. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's easier to find out information for sure. Mm. But you're talking mm. about SaaS companies. I mean, I, I don't know what how many there are, but I think it's like in excess of 30,000. Um, wow. A lot of them, 
a lot of them talk similar language. Okay, we save time, we save money, mm. Uh, mm. we enhance something. Like, but people are saying the same thing. So yeah, it, mm. it's easy to get information on someone, but mm. you can't get someone's direct line. Yeah, you you, mm. you call a, a landline number. It's highly improbable that you're going to get put through to that person unless they're still, um, you know, working in the office full time. But it's uh, yeah. Mm. mentality there is there is a difference for sure i think I, I feel old saying that but there definitely is um but it is it's a different game it is mm. there's so mm. much more competition so much more noise um, mm. you know people are trying to people are trying to sort of cut down their tech stacks and mm. you know you're going to talk to them about adding to it uh, mm. so it's i think i think it's it's easier in some respects to to find the, the person or the right person for sure. Um, but try and have a conversation with them. It's a different story. Because mm, mm. that, that access to information goes both ways. So just like we, like on the sales side, have access to more information, the buyer also has access to so much more information. So like I said, competition is so high, noise is high. The amount of adverts people see every day is honestly, like when I hear it, I'm just like, that's an overwhelming number. So people are getting so yeah. much noise, like you said. Yeah. And the, the thing is, I mean, I, I must get a dozen messages, uh, you know, whether it be LinkedIn or, or emails. Mm. Yeah. A dozen a day. How many do I open? Like maybe one, maybe one that stands mm. out. So yeah. it, it, it's just, it's very difficult. You know, I, I could have a conversation with whoever I wanted to speak to, unless they were very senior. Um, you know, mm. they've got, executive assistants that you know would be fielding the calls but I, I could normally speak to the person i wanted to speak to i could have 10 15 conversations in a day like mm. you're lucky mm. to have five now wow if you rely on the phone <laughs> mm. Mm. so what are some of the things that you've had to to grow in or to change over the years to still stay relevant in this very different time yeah, we, you have to stand out. You have to be, you have to be different. You have to uh, like buck the status quo, um, interrupt the pattern, like how we, however you want to phrase it. I think LinkedIn is mm. great for that. Um, I think if you're able to build the right LinkedIn page, like your own LinkedIn page, like that, that's a landing page, right? And when mm. you send connection requests out, you see people view you, and you see people. Mm often not accept that connection request so like there's a lot more you need to do with linkedin but joining uh groups being in similar networks to your ideal customer um and to have that landing page be attractive to them right so you, you don't want to look like you're selling something you want to look like someone that's going to add value and value, yeah. this is what i typically do with the teams that i work with we, we will add value, right? Um, we won't try and sell on a LinkedIn message. We, we just want to send them something, be it, you know, a case study, a white paper, webinar invites, you know, th there's lots of content which companies should be creating. And I think just to help build that community, you, you need to be able to give them something of value to them before they'll talk to you. I think that value exchange is honestly one of the most important things because like you said, it's a very different thing to being sold to. You know, you're getting something of value that can help you whether you buy or not. 
Mm. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, people expect that, and I think, mm. well, the, the the journey of a buyer is very different. Again, like we're, we're talking about the, the the seller's journey, but the buyer's journey is very different. They mm. generally don't want to have a conversation when they're exploring what's out there. They want to see something um, mm. they, without having that conversation. They don't want to be sold to. They don't expect it. They expect mm. to be able to access information from a company website um, without being pitched. Yeah, people don't want to put their phone mm. numbers in there. They, they might have to put their emails in there, right, if they want to mm. receive something. But people don't want to be um, sold to at that early stage. Mm. And that's, mm. you know, as a seller, you need to acknowledge that and be respectful to that and allow them to complete their their journey i guess as you as you went through your career who were some of the leaders that had a massive positive impact on you i mean, i think everywhere i've been um I can I can sort of highlight certain people that have, have really helped me. I, I mean, keeping it keeping it current, I suppose. Um, at Absen, uh, a guy called Andy Foster, um, who he was an ex uh, Conquer guy. He was really helpful mm-hmm. to me. Um, gave me some great tips and ideas, I suppose, to be heard in the organisation. You know, rather mm-hmm. than sort of siloed in doing what I'm doing, sort of being a lot more sort of vocal or sharing with the the wider company audience. You know, anyone on the go to market team would be very much aware. So I think I think like he he's really helped. Um I mentioned um the company earlier, but I worked with a guy called Mike Roberts. Um mm. he taught me a lot about LinkedIn. I mean I, I'd use LinkedIn for a long time, but it's it's the things that I was I wasn't doing. You know, the videos, the mm. voice notes, um just ways to change what other people are doing to stand out from the competition and again even even still i've been doing it and getting the guys that i work with to do videos voice notes on linkedin for five years i think i've probably received three or four um videos of voice notes like nobody seems to be doing it which is crazy i I thought once we started doing it everyone would soon catch up right but they mm. don't. They still they still rely on email sequences going out. Um, they don't sort of. Well, most people don't personalize it or humanize it. They just rely on mm. this stream of emails. You know, with a breakup email at the end. I, I've never understood that. How can you break up with someone that you've never spoken to? You know. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that's that's what I always find a bit interesting because they're also a little bit angry. Some of those breakup emails, I get them. I'm like, yeah. "Whoa, okay." We've never even spoken. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is my last email to you. It's like, well, great, fantastic. But okay. like, you know, <laughs> you, 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 can't, you, you can't rely on it, right? So you need to you need to multi-thread the approach. Like we've spoken yeah. about the, the telephone, but you, you know, it needs you need to have emails going out for sure. Um, you need to be yeah. very active on LinkedIn. You, you need to be you yeah. know blending the, the, all the approaches. Because um, not not everything works, right? Not everyone mm. will check their LinkedIn inbox, uh, and they they won't mm. be very active. I mean, you mentioned like two percent regularly post. Mm. Many, mm. I mean, I'm I'm on LinkedIn all day, but a lot of people aren't, mm. right? So mm. you can't just rely on one thing. You you need to sort of blend it until you 
have that conversation or spark that interest that's going to enable a conversation. But you, 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 you know, you need to be quite relentless and quite tenacious with with the, with the outreach. I think. Something you, you very briefly mentioned was about being heard in the organization and kind of looking through your career. I know we didn't go into too much depth in terms of every stop, but you've had some really interesting roles, some really big roles and being heard in the organization and influence and things like that is, is really important for progression. So what are some of the things that kind of helped you to progress through organizations? You had, you know, quite a, some chunky stints in different places where you've kind of grown there. So what's been helpful for you in terms of progressing your career? I think uh, I, I mentioned that to be heard, but it's it's not a case of um, just showing everyone what you're doing. It's 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 integral, right? And I think from a from a sales function, you need to be very tightly aligned with marketing. I mean, it's arguably one and the same thing, right? Like we're all trying to generate demand, so you need to know what marketing are doing. You need to be on point with the with the story. Um, you know, you don't be saying different things. I think working with marketing, you know, if you've got sales enablement, work with those guys, be really, really tight with them, um, as well as everyone in sales. Um, but I think, you know, you, you could extend that, I suppose, to customer success, right? So to the people that are speaking to customers. Um, and even if you haven't got case studies, you know, you could say, like, I'm going after this company who, you know, in, in the financial industry, I, I see we've got a few customers. What was what was their pains? What was you know, how have we helped them? What problems did we solve? I think it's important to be very closely tied with anyone on the sort of go to market team um, mm. in order to be the best salesperson you can be. And I think, like I say, mm. marketing you need to be very tight with them, and you know, revenue ops as well. They're often the those that sort of bridge those those gaps between marketing and sales. But I've always not always. For the last sort of five years, I've made sure I have regular meetings with these people. Okay. And I'm not a fan of meetings for the sake of meetings. I can't stand them. <laughs> um, but, you know, have an agenda, right? Have an agenda, have things to talk about that's pertinent to what you're doing. And that's, that's the same for someone that's working in marketing or customer success or enablement. They need to be having the conversations with people that are, that have the same goal ultimately. Mm. Kind of joining the dots because often in organizations it can be a bit siloed and a bit competitive yeah. as opposed to collaborative mm -hmm. between the team yeah and I, th I think you know like historically it's it, there, there's been a fight between sales and marketing of who gets you know who gets this um customer attributed to who and there's a fight there shouldn't be a fight right we're, we're on the mm -hmm. same team we we have the same goal mm -hmm which would be, mm. this is the ARR we, we expect this year, next year, whatever. And it needs to be harmonious. And, you know, I think it's important for leaders to, like you say, that to, to bridge those gaps, to, to have those mm. dotted lines and, and to have those conversations. Um, otherwise, you're going to get owners of the business or, you know, CEOs of the business that are just saying, you know, you need to do this, you need to speak to these guys. I think if you've got that mm. cadence uh, and that, you know, being comfortable with speaking to these people and understanding um, what their goals are for the month, for the year, it, it helps mm. organisations flourish. Mm. Mm. What I wanted to ask you is that if you could talk to yourself 
at the beginning of your career, what would you what would you say to yourself? <laughs> I mean, I've I've got no regrets, right? But there there are things mm. I would have done differently, um, and there are there are moves I would not have done with you know hindsight's a wonderful thing, right? Um, so mm. I guess I guess it would be, you know, I, I mentioned my focus is you know obviously tech and particularly mm. AI. I think I should have got into it a lot quicker. You know, I'm sort of 20 okay. years in my career, and and for me, like the there was that moment five years ago, just before I was 40, I was like, right, I I need to be doing something which I could mm. finish my career doing. You know, there's nothing mm. wrong with taking risks and changing swim lanes or you know industries or it, it, even jobs that you're doing. There's nothing wrong with taking risks. Risks mm. are better in your 20s, right? Risk the bed, <laughs> but yeah, I think I think you know, yeah. If if I had that, if I had that chance to speak to myself, I'd just say like, get an AI and stay, and stay there. You know, I think that mm. that would be it. Was that a tough decision for you in terms of saying, okay, this is what I'm going to do with the AI? Yeah, it, it wasn't. It was it wasn't a tough decision. It was the right decision. The 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 risks really for me were financial. Okay, so moving to AI, it was, it was a company called Pharma um, that I moved to. I, I took a I took a pay drop, but I knew what my goal was. Right, mm. my my goal was to to lead teams within this space at larger companies. So mm. that was. Yeah, that that was a bit of a, a bit of a risk, I suppose. Just just taking the the financial drop, um, but it's not something I think was a, the, the wrong decision. It was it was definitely the right decision, you know, from from a personal point of view. You know, since I made that switch, if you like, um, mm. salaries salaries have gone up significantly with with the moves that I've that I've made. Mm. Um, knowledge mm. is there, um, you know. And I've I, I've started becoming more of an expert in that field right and mm. i've mm. still got a, i've still got a, a decade or so uh left in me uh career-wise so yeah i think it was i, I think yeah, I, I wish i did it a long time before but it yeah. was the right thing to do if you don't mind sharing what kind of percentage drop did you take and did, how long did it take to kind of get back to to where you were i don't mind um so i i pretty much halved what i was earning um, wow, and then yeah, so because it, it, it was <laughs> wow. you know, it, it, it was a small company. It's yeah. local to me. I'm in I'm in Hertfordshire, so it, it was quite. There was no commute. There was no big commute costs. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a big drop in salary. Um, but I just knew that is where I needed to be, and to get mm. back to where I need to to get back to what I was used to earning. Um, maybe a couple of years it took okay. to get there. Okay, because I think I've, there's a lot I've, of people... I've exceeded. I've sorry, I've I've exceeded no, what I was on. So it's it's finally worked out. Because mm. mm. I think there'll be a lot of people who are thinking about doing something like that, but they're facing quite a big, quite a big drop in salary. So I think it's really encouraging for people to hear that actually like it is possible. It does happen. It might not take as long as you think. Um, so that's what, that's what I was asking. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think anyone that's not fulfilled in what they're doing um, should, you know, ask themselves a question, you know, you know, quoting Simon Sinek, like, what, what is your why? You know, that's, that's integral. Like, what, what are you looking to do? Where do you want to go? I think, you know, you, I, I said about taking risks in your 20s, right? Because generally that you have a lot less responsibilities in your 20s than you do in your 30s mm. and 40s or and further mm. on. So, yeah, I think as long as you can, I mean, you, you wouldn't want to put yourself in a position where you were unable to survive, right? So I was, mm. you know, I was fortunate enough that I was able to take that hit um, mm. and not impact um, my life or my family's life, you know? Uh, there were mm. some changes, don't get me wrong, but it wasn't like, yeah, it, it wasn't mm. too much of a hit where the the family no- noticed it. How, because I think sometimes we link kind of our confidence and ego and just ourselves to how much we earn, right? So how did your kind of your personal inner self, because I understand, you know, there's some external changes that have to happen, but internally, how did you deal with halving your pay? Yeah. I mentioned goals earlier and like how goals have changed over time. Uh, money, mm. it was all about money for me. And I mean, you know, money's mm. massively important, right? If you're going to yeah. work yeah. for somebody. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But it was all about money for me throughout my mm. 20s. Um, I suppose most of my 30s, that's all I cared about. Um, yeah, e- ego wasn't damaged. I think, you know, the, the, my ego has, has dwindled to being almost non-existent um at mm. my time in life so yeah mm. I, I wasn't i wasn't phased by it um I, I knew i could be making more doing something else but i thought well ultimately you know long-term mm. goals i need to be mm. the master in this field right and mm. if i am then i'll be making a lot more than i was then but mm. I, I, I was fortunate that i didn't like i say it didn't impact my life greatly uh mm. yeah so if if mm. you're if you're able to do it, then of course, you know, take the risk. Um, obviously, if it's mm. going to make a big impact on your life and you need to turn it around in a very short time frame that might be unrealistic, you need to sort of look at things a bit harder, I guess. Mm. Mm. Talk to me about the death of ego that you just mentioned. <laughs> well, I read a book called Ego is the Enemy. Um, it's okay. a, it's a, I think it was a Ryan Holiday book. It's, it's behind me, actually. It's a, it's a stoic book. Um, yeah, Ryan Holiday. Uh, yeah, so it was just, it was just really just thinking that you know there are there are more important things um, mm. in life. And I, I mentioned you know working somewhere that fulfills you. Um, that's mm. that was really important. Um, mm. Money, money became less important mm. for a short term. Yeah, so I, I wasn't I wasn't yeah. faced about it, but I sort of changed my mindset. Um, yeah, just as I got older, like I say, goals are very different in different parts mm. of your life, right? Um, and for, for me, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's quite answered the the question about the loss of ego, but I think I think it does as you get older. You know, I, I don't I don't even have a car anymore. Like things like that used to really oh, wow. drive me or, or bother me. My, 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 wife, my wife does, so I have access to a car, but I can walk to the train yeah, station. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't, that, that doesn't fuss me anymore. It used to, yeah, but not at all now. I couldn't, I couldn't care less what I drive. 
how do you how do you separate confidence and ego? Because in sales, like we were talking about earlier, like there has to be a level of confidence. So often where confidence is high, ego is also high. So how do you separate out the two things where you can still be, because you, you seem very confident. So how do you separate those two things out? I don't know. I mean, it's humility, I guess, right? Um, the, 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 edge of, the edge of the ego, I suppose, is like if, if I were to fail, Right. If my team were to fail, then I am not successful. So, you know, you need you need to be confident and you need to have um, the drive to be successful. I mean, some people would say, well, that's ego then. But I, I, I just think being successful and getting other people to achieve success is just part of mm. working in sales. Right. So, yeah, people might think mm. it's uh, you've got to have an ego to do it. But I think, yeah, I, I think from the way that I am, the way that I was 20 years ago is very different. You know, I haven't got as much attachment to labels and things, but yeah, I want to be mm. successful. Um, mm. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if someone would argue that's, that is an ego thing, but I just think that's, I, I'm used to, I'm um, used to success. I, I don't know if that is an ego thing. I think that is a, a drive and an ambition thing. I think mm. for me, and I don't know the proper definitions of ego, right? But for me, it's kind of like ego is that prideful element that's like past wanting to be. It's like, I want the success for me kind of thing. It's like, I want people to look at me. I want this. I want this. Whereas I feel like confidence and wanting to win is slightly different, especially if you're talking in a team context where like, I want my team to be successful. I want you to be mm -hmm. successful, not just me. So that's what I'm really trying to kind of gauge and understand is how do you start to separate? Because it's a nuanced thing. How do you start to separate yeah. the two and understand, okay, what is confidence? What is ego? What is humility? What is pride? Like, what does that really look like? Yeah, I think, I think you sort of touched on it there. Like, I think the way I look at it anyway, like the, the ego is more about what other people think of me. Um, and oh, I think as I've got yeah. older, as I've got older, I, I care less. <laughs> yeah, not that I want to be disliked, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. That's not something I do But, um, yeah, I'd be I'd be a lot more conscious. Yes, ten twenty years ago, about what other people thought. Yeah, and that that would be attached to the car I'm driving mm. or the clothes that I'm wearing. Mm. You know, mm. nothing I wore in my twenties didn't have a label on it, right? And now I don't, I, I generally mm. I mean I dress fairly smartly, but I don't I don't mind where my clothes come from. Um, but yeah, it, it used to bother me what other people thought of me. I guess that was yeah. If I'm being mm. honest, that's that, that's what. That's what I used to do. Um, I used to leave the keys on the, you know, it used to be obvious what car I was driving. <laughs> you know, and, that, and that for me, I, I cringe at it now. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, I, I absolutely love that distinction about caring so much what other people think of you. I think that's, I think that's really important because you can't actually have everybody like you. Like, it's pretty much impossible. So it's okay that some people yeah. aren't going to. It doesn't mean be unlikable, but it's like care a little bit less. I, I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I definitely care a little bit less for sure. <laughs> so just, just as we close, we're going to do our tick fire questions. Um, so I'm going to ask you a okay. bunch of quick fire questions. You've got like, you know, around a minute to answer if you want to. Um, so my first question is, what's the difference between a good leader and a great leader? I think a great leader will inspire um whereas a good leader won't a good leader can get the best out of their team but i think a great leader will be inspirational 
and that, that that's what that's what I try and be. I I try I try within the context that I'm able to within work to to mm. let people have their best experience, and I hope mm. that they look back on their time where they work with me and they see that, that that's where they've learned a lot, been inspired. I think that yeah, I mm. think that's the distinction. Thank you. And what are the top three things that you hire for? Top three? That's throwing me. I've got two things. I've got two things I normally look at, right? Okay. They need to be... I I, I, I can add one. They they need to be smart, as in Mm. intelligent, and and they need to be hardworking. I think if you can intrinsically nail those two things, I can make Mm. a great salesperson, right? I think Mm. if if you lack that mental edge... I'm not mm-hmm. talking about academia, but if you're not sharp and you mm-hmm. can't think on your feet, it's gonna it's gonna take a long time to get someone to perform or overperform as mm-hmm. you know I'd aim mm-hmm. to get them. Um, and similarly, you know, you could have the brightest person in the world, and if they're lazy, they can't be <laughs> great. Can't. Yeah. So I think intrinsically to, to get those two things, I mean, it'd be it'd be good to have someone that's likable, I suppose. Um, it's important that people don't rub people up the wrong way. But I think, you know, being intelligent and, and having tenacity, that's that's the two things I'd look for. And do you think those are just intrinsic? Or you either have it or you don't? Or do you think you can develop some of those things in terms of being smart and being hardworking? You can definitely develop both things, right? I think you have to continually learn in life. I think it's really important mm. to always be learning. So yes, someone could become more intelligent the, the longer you work with them. The lazy thing's tricky. Mm. Um, that would involve uh, a lot more micromanagement, which I hate. Um, mm. So yeah, if someone lacks one of those two things, of course you could you could get them to where they need to be in the end. But from a hiring perspective, if I didn't, feel that they were those two things i wouldn't hire mm. them if i worked somewhere and there was people on the team already that had been there a while and they were tenured and i thought they lacked one of those things i could work on it i'd be quite open quite honest and say that this is the thing you need to work on but for hiring yeah if they didn't come across as smart um and if it mm. didn't come across as someone that was willing to work hard i'd uh mm. I'd, I'd probably stop the process early on Final question. What advice would you give to someone who's starting out their, their career right now? Don't be out-hustled. Work as hard as you possibly can. Learn as much as you can possibly learn, um, whether that's online or whether you're reading uh, books or websites or whatever it is you need to do. But, yeah, just, just work, work very hard, um, and that will get you noticed. Awesome. Pete, thank you so, so much for being on the podcast. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, me too. Take care. Cheers. Thanks, guys, for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to What Makes You Tick, and I hope you've enjoyed listening as much as I've enjoyed having the conversation. Absolutely. You don't have to have met someone in real life to be mentored by them, right? We've all got favorite sales books, and hopefully this podcast is giving you access to a whole new tribe of mentors who, through their stories and best advice, will help you to achieve a bigger and better career in tech. So if you want to never miss a beat, subscribe now and then you'll get notified as soon as next week's mentor releases their story. Thank you so much and we'll see you on the next episode.